Praise God. Praise God. I'd like to direct your attention here this morning to the book of Acts, chapter number 17. Again, it's great to see all of you. Brother David already mentioned uh, one of the reasons why I think that um, things have been going well for us is because every single week we send out an email that um, urges people that if you've had a headache, an earache, uh, anything, a toe ache, just stay at home. You're not going to be lost. Um, we're not going to think ill of you. We're doing this to protect the congregation. And I think one of the reasons uh, why we've been able to do what we're doing is because people have been very conscientious, and we appreciate that so much. Acts chapter number 17, and we're going to read several verses of Scripture here, um, starting in verse number 23. The Apostle Paul, of course, in the midst of Mars Hill in Athens, verse 23 said, For I pass by and beheld your devotions, I found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God, whom therefore ye ignorantly worship. Him declare I unto you. Verse 24, God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples, made with hands, skipping down to verse 27 and 28, that they should seek the Lord if haply they might feel after him and find him, though he be not far from every one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as certain also of your own poets have said, for we are also his Offspring, Verse 31 and 32. Because he hath appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men, and that he hath raised him from the dead. And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, and others said, We will hear thee again of this matter. I want to uh, specifically hone in on two verses of Scripture, and that is verse 27 and 28. That they should seek the Lord if haply they might feel after him and find him, though he be not far from every one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, for in him we live and move and have our being. So close and yet so far away. So close and yet so far away. Let's pray together. Father, by the authority of the name of Jesus, in the midst of this great host, Father, I pray for your anointing and your direction. I pray for every heart and every mind to be cleared from the debris and the distractions of this world. And I pray for the Word of God and the Spirit of God to make entrance and for the next several moments to reign supreme so that every human being can make an intelligent and rational decision about the things of the everlasting God. We ask it in Jesus' name, and everybody said amen. amen. God bless you right before you're seated. I know you're not supposed to shake hands, but give your neighbor an elbow. Not in the head, but, you know, bump. Bump your elbows. Now, I still shake, but I have a, I have a bottle of fresh sanitizer in my pocket. And I'm not afraid to use it. This is an incredible passage of Scripture, just to lay a little bit of groundwork for us. The Apostle Paul is on one of his infamous missionary journeys, and 
he is traveling through Gentile territory as an apostle of Jesus Christ. He has just left Thessalonica in which there was an incredible revival. In fact, the Bible said that there were many that were delivered of idolatry. And so the apostle goes to Athens, and Athens was unlike any other city in the modern world that even eclipsed Rome in terms of a major influence in terms of the art and literature and philosophical thinking. And so the Apostle Paul was already versed to a certain extent, having been raised in Tarsus. He was raised in a privileged household. He um, went and was privately tutored. The Bible tells us that he sat at the feet of Gamaliel that was the chief scribe of the nation of Israel. And um, even beside that, before he sat at the feet of Gamaliel, he was indoctrinated and educated with a certain amount of uh, the Hellenistic influence. The Hellenistic, uh, that phraseology is a historical term talking about the pageantry and the magnitude and the influence of Greece. Greece um, eclipsed even the Pax Romana and the influence of Rome. Even though Rome had the military might and the governmental might, it came nowhere even close of having the influence of, of Greece, kind of like the difference between Washington, D.C. and Hollywood. Uh, and I know that that's a, <laughs> probably a horrible thing to utter, but nonetheless, you will get what I'm trying to say when you talk about one is the governmental center, but one is the real influence. It influences what people wear. It influences what people watch, not the church, but you understand what I'm saying. And they are major influencers of this modern culture. And so the Apostle Paul, in his studies, even, uh, even before sitting at the feet of Gamaliel, he was familiar with a lot of the writings, philosophical writings, uh, that came out of Greece. They were writings that uh, had even eclipsed the writings of the Word of God up until this point because the writings of the Word of God were largely Jewish and maintained outside of the temple in Jerusalem. They were confined to the synagogues of the local communities that were scattered throughout the world. But Greek philosophy was known everywhere and it was understood uh, some of the ontology, ontology is the study or the doctrine of being. And it is the fundamental foundation of all philosophy, of which even Greece majored in. And so when the Apostle Paul got to Athens, he already knew in the back of his mind that this was going to be different from any other place he's ever been to. It's, it's going to be somewhat of a challenge. The Bible tells us that when he got to Athens, immediately his spirit was stirred within him. Because uh, even everything that he had heard about this magnificent center of philosophical and educational thought did not even come close to describing uh, how far these people were gone in idolatry and their search for the living God. In fact, biblical historians tell us that there was a minimum of 30,000 statues that existed in the city um, of Athens and some of these had figures on them some of them were mythological figures in which they were half man and half beast others were figures of uh, human form um, and all the deities that went with Greek mythology was was displayed there and then he came upon in his in his just looking at all of this he found uh, a statue and a pedestal with this engravement unto the unknown God Paul being in the top 10 uh, smartest men that ever lived. Um, and that's not my perception of him. That is the perception of, of world-class thinkers that read the writings of Paul and don't even understand the revelation, the height and the depth and the breadth of his revelatory uh, grasp. But just on his education and his, his mental acumen, they, they registered him and recognized him as in the top 10 
uh, smartest man that ever lived. But he was quick on his feet, and he recognized that this is a perfect opportunity to talk to these people that are steeped in idolatry and steeped into humanism and, and steeped into skepticism and step, steeped in philosophy. This is a perfect time to introduce to them the unknown God. So the Apostle Paul, being so quick on his feet, he puts this message together. It is incredibly eloquent. Uh, it, is, it, is, it is an amazing message. Um, it is a message that has been heralded by the denominational world as being the perfect example of apostolic preaching. I would differ with that. Um, in fact, I maintain to this great congregation that it was not actually apostolic preaching. It was an argument. It was more of a, an apologetical argument against idolatry and against Greek culture. The difference being an apologetical argument and that which is anointed preaching is that in anointed preaching, Jesus said, don't even think what you're going to speak when you stand before men because the Holy Ghost himself will give you the words that you ought to preach. Well, I've got a few notes here on this piece of paper. Every time I come to this pulpit, the words that are on that page are not the entirety of what I'm going to say. It's more, it's a place to take off and it's a place to land because this church has the power and the unction of the Almighty God. And when God gets involved, it will sweep an entire congregation into another world. But nonetheless, and I don't want to detract from the excellence of this and the incredible magnitude of, of what the Apostle Paul was able to galvanize and put together and utter to these world-class philosophers and critics. Um, the, 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 the philosophers that were there uh, were representing two different extremes. They were the Epicureans and the Stoics. The golden age of philosophy uh, through Socrates and, and some of the others had already begun to burn out. And now it's just, just leaving two major schools of thoughts. Interestingly, these two schools of thoughts, which was the Epicureans and the Stoics, represent the extreme of philosophical thought. It was the Epicureans that believed that life was made for pleasure and that every human being was designed to wring every single ounce of pleasure, though it be with your appetite, with your, uh, maybe it's just self-gratification, whatever the case may be, that life was intended to be a vehicle for human pleasure. And then on the opposite side of the scale were the Stoics and the fathers of Stoicism that believed that life was to be incredibly regimented and, and was to have rule and regulation to where men would live in monasteries and, and, and women would live in convents and, and they, were, they were very strict in, in their course of humanity. And so these two extremes met at Mars Hill wanting to hear from this vain babbler, wanting to hear from this man uh, that appears to be empowered by some invisible force. Because I believe that when these apostles, I believe that when they reared back and began to preach, they didn't sit there worried about their ripped jeans sitting behind some little coffee table with a little coffee mug and trying to address a congregation. I believe it's the unction of the Almighty God came on there. They got beside themselves. They became... They became Oh, somebody clap your hand. But that's the difference with apostolic preaching. It is preaching that breaks the yoke and breaks it wide open and sets you free. Oh, somebody clap your hand and give God the praise. And so Paul has put this message together and he begins to talk, introducing the unknown God. As I've already mentioned, when you do a denominational study of this particular passage of Scripture, which I have read many, many pages from biblical commentators that believe that this was the apex of apostolic preaching. They believe it's the pinnacle of, of apostolic thought and apostolic preaching. Ladies and gentlemen, it's not even close. But to them, because of the rhythm, the, the, the rhythm and the cadence of this message, and the ideas that were revealed in this message. And I will admit to you and confess to you that it's brilliant. 
in its breadth and, and in its scope. But it was not absolutely anointed of the Holy Ghost. We know this because there was not one convert. There was not one life that was changed. There still to this day is not an apostolic church in Athens where he just left a revival in Thessalonians where it said there was a great many of idolaters that turned to God. When he went to Thessalonians, he just reared back and preached. There ain't no, there is no other God but one, and his name is Jesus, and you got to go down in the water, and you will come up speaking in tongues. And there was a great revival in Thessalonica. But Paul, being an intellect, when you get saved, God does not use your strengths. God does not use some, it's every once in a while, and I'm not, I'm not being critical of this, it's just an observation. Some people say, you know, Joe is a great speaker and he's not afraid of people. Man, that's great. But when you speak real good, the problem is Joe's going to get the glory. What God does is God puts us through a process where he reduces our abilities and emphasizes his ability. So if anybody's going to get the glory, it's going to be God. Come on, somebody clap your hands and shout. Just let God keep working. He's got a purpose for you. He's got a reason for you. It's an incredible message. It's an incredible message. In fact, there are some things that are found in Acts chapter number 17 that are not found anywhere else where the Apostle Paul ministered. I want to talk about that for a little bit. The reason for that is, is that the Apostle Paul in a very rare usage of God's incommunicable attributes. You will not find this anywhere else in the Apostles Paul preaching. Maybe, maybe hinted at one other time, but never articulated like this. God's communicable attributes and his incommunicable attributes. This is a, this is a body of theological study of God. God is a spirit. And because God is a spirit and that he is physically innate and that he, in his essence, he is, he is invisible, the apostle Paul is doing his best to reveal to the Athenians that God cannot be relegated to a statue. And in our world, they probably try to pull those statues down. Somebody said that the, whatever the name of this group is, because it's morphed a little bit, they're not satisfied with Robert E. Lee. They're trying to pull the statue of Jesus down. Honey, Jesus already went down once. You ain't never going to put him down again. I think another person ought to run the aisles on that one. You ain't never going to pull Jesus down. He came down. You can pull all the statues you want down, but we are going up. We are going to rise to meet him. We are not going down. We are going up. Somebody go ahead and praise him. Let's take a little time. Have a praise break. I don't know how I got off there, but let's just, glad it's, let's just be glad it's in the rearview mirror right now. The Apostle Paul, in a very rare theological move, is describing God's incommunicable attributes. Now, God's communicable attributes are attributes about God that resonate within a human being, his paternity. His mercy, his grace, his love. They are attributes of God that emanate from him. They are expressions of him. 
that we can receive, we can partake of, we can feel it, we can know that. Much like a human being. A human being, of course, has finitude. Instead of being infinite, they are localized in a body. But you can, as they communicate to you, you can feel what they're trying to say. You can hear what they're trying to say. You can understand what they're trying to say. That is a communicable attribute of man. And God has those. Because that's where mankind got those things. But God has incommunicable attributes, which means they have no resonating component within man. For example, God is eternal. He has eternitude. God is infinite. He has infinitude. God has all space. He has immensitude. God is everywhere at once. God has omniscience. He knows all things. He's all wise. He's omnisapien. Come on, I'm preaching already. You don't think this God knows your problem? God knows the problem. God's got the answer. God's got the remedy. God's got the cure. Somebody clap your hands and give God the praise. The Apostle Paul, in drawing from the incommunicable attributes of God, He says that they should seek the Lord if haply they might feel after him and find him, though he be not far from every one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. God is everywhere. God is everywhere. How can a God that is everywhere finally make himself known? In Genesis chapter 1, verse number 2, it said, And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the deep. How can a God that is omnipresent, another word for that is ubiquitous. Ubiquitous means God is in the same degree everywhere. Like a balloon, when you fill up a balloon, the same pressure of that air inside that balloon is the same anywhere in that balloon. If God is ubiquitous, if God is omnipresent, how does a God like that move? In order to move, I have to have space between point A and point B. If you're enjoying this this morning, just say amen. Listen, there's coffee and popcorn and sweets and more elbows after service, but just, just look interested. All right, okay. You got to have a point A and you got to have a point B in order for Pastor Mayo to go from here to there. But God doesn't have that. God doesn't have a point A to point B. When it said that God moved, it only means I manifested myself. For in him we live. You have been living inside of God all your life. You've been so close, but yet so far away. I'm here to bridge that gap so you can walk out of here knowing the God of the universe, the God of creation, the God of all power, the God of all authority. For in him we live. Clap your hands and give God the praise. Somebody shout with a voice of triumph. You have to understand. You have to understand that your life is going to be measured and judged 
according to the intersections in which the God that you moved and lived and had your being became part of your experience as a human being. I lived for 30 years basically totally hedonistic, totally caught up with self-gratification. It was all about me. It, I, I was a 30-year-old, 14-year-old in which I thought that life and the world revolved around me. But when I was 30, God stepped out of it. Hold on. No, no, no clapping, no nothing, because you got to get this. You got to get this. God watched me for 30 years. I lived, I was that close to God. But when I was 30, God said, now I'm going to reveal myself. You're here today. God's watched you. God's seen the pain. God's seen the sorrow. God's seen it all. But God says, I'm ending it now. Clap your hands and give God the praise. You got to do something with that. You, you're responsible for that. You have to do something with that. You cannot be ignorant of the fact that God stepped out of eternity. You may be seated. I'm going to use myself as an example. I hate to do that because I'm not, I'm, I'm far from the only one here uh, that I'm going to preach about here today. There's people all over this congregation that have the same message I do. I'm nobody special. But when I was 30 years old, that God that I had walked in, the God that saw my stupidity as a child and saw the things done to me as a child and saw the abuses that I took and saw the warped personality and the, and the insecurities that caused me to get into all kinds of sin. He let that happen because he said, I need somebody in the end time that can communicate to somebody else. I understand where you're at. I know where you're at. I hear where you're at. Clap your hands and give God the praise. Somebody shout with a voice of triumph. I've heard all kinds of people say, and they've accused God. They said, if God is a loving God, why does he allow this pain? And why does he allow evil? And why does he allow this? And why does he allow that? It's because God is producing this end time revival that he's going to step out of eternity and said, I saw you, but you weren't ready yet. But now I'm going to pull you out and make you mine and anoint you and empower you and give you strength. Somebody shout and give him glory. That's why I know the great, you say, Pastor, I saw a picture. I saw a picture of a transgender model. And I didn't just sit there and drool over it. I sat there and got it off my screen. It was on my Fox News deal about the first transgender model walking the runway at Paris, modeling the newest clothes of some designer. Because transgender models are the new deal. You say, Pastor, why is God allowing this? And why is God allowing that? Because God's going to step out of eternity and reveal himself to somebody and say, you were never created to be that. You belong to me. Go ahead and shout. He saw the pain. He's going to use it. He's going to use the pain. He's going to use the tears. He's going to... Shout with a voice of triumph. I think one of the haunting things about eternity is going to be 
that people are going to recognize on Judgment Day just how close God was, though they became idolaters, though they became unbelievers, though they became disbelievers and mockers of everything that was Christian. God's going to say, in me you lived. In me you moved while you were putting me down. And it is going to cause them to weep with gnashing of teeth for eternity. They're going to say, I never knew. I never knew. I never knew. Which is why Cornerstone, we cannot take a weekend off. We are revealing the invisible world. We are revealing... Shout unto God with a voice of triumph. In him we live and move and have our being. You got to understand that the greatest testimonies in heaven, and I thank God for the testimonies and trophies of heaven that are sitting here today. People that have come out of darkness, people that have walked out of entire families, that belittled this message and belittled this gospel, but they fell in love with the God that said, I saw you there, but I, and I wept because I knew the day was coming that I'd be able to embrace you and I'd be able to love you and I'd bring you out with a mighty hand and I'd make you my own. But the greatest trophies of hell in the dark netherworld of the caverns of oblivion are not going to be people sitting on a bar stool and not be people that are transgender and not be people that are hooked on drugs and people that have never known the only God. But it's going to be people under the sound of my voice that were so close, yet they were so far away. They didn't understand the invitation that was given week after a week. They didn't understand what they were feeling was that God being made known. They didn't understand that when the pastor got up, it was an invitation to come out of your past, an invitation to come out of your spirit, an invitation to come out of a world of hate. They are so close, yet so far away. The devil is going to mock when he reminds people that you sat in a church that believed in the only wise God and in the only message and in the only forgiveness and in the only power that's why it's so hard for me to comprehend people that sat on pews for years and still haven't discovered the depths and the glories of prayer people that were raised in this that can quote scripture that are going to become the trophies on the mantelpiece of oblivion. Not in a bar, not in a den of iniquity, not being raised in a house full of idolatry, but they that were so close, but yet so far away. Let's lift our hands and pray. I'm not going to park here, but I do have to preach this because we're in the end time. And I'm seeing people that are sitting on, there's people that have sat in these pews. I've not even heard from them in four months. I've not received a call. I've not received a text message. I've not received anything that are members of this church. And I'm thinking, God! So close. Come on, let's pray some more. Let's pray. The devil's having revival right now. Oh, that's just another church. That's just another doctrine. They're just another communicable church that believes in grace and mercy and love. No. No, this is an incommunicable church that brings the invisible and manifests it in living color every single week. Let's pray. I want to pray. Cause me to say something, God. Put words in my lips, God, that will touch the cords of the hearts. Oh, 
Oh. How can you sit in a church that has all of the communicable and incommunicable demonstrations and walk out and think that rap music is better than the singing we heard today? Man, even Kanye West knows the gospel is where it's at. I'm sure somebody's going to tell him I said that. The difference, how, if a God is omnipresent and in him we live and move and have our being, how can somebody be far from God? It's because the point of contact or the receptor in every human being is the human heart. And so it is possible to sit in a church like this and seeing some of the greatest things that have ever taken place and be so far. And so I'm here for those that are very close. And I'm here for those that are very far away. To rally around the only wise God. Isaiah chapter number 29 and verse 13 says this. Wherefore the Lord said, for as much as the people draw near me with their mouth. And with their lips they do honor me, but they have removed their heart far from me. I'm going to tell you, the devil is not working in a football stadium near as hard as he's working in this church. I'm going to tell you, just in the last four months that this pandemic has, has been unveiled on this nation, I have felt a pressure that I have never sensed before in 26 years being in Spokane, Washington. And that's because the devil, Brother Cody Mark said it best, it's not just a temptation, it's not just a touch, you can feel the push, it's a press. It's a, it's a pressing upon people. This is no time to be halfway in and halfway out. It's, it's time to say, you know what? I may have made my mistakes. I may be a complete failure, but God is for me, and I'll not be moved. I may, I may have messed up. I might have sinned. I might have made all kinds of mistakes, but I'm not going to be lost. I'm not going to fall out. I'm going to stay in the church of the living God. Woo! Somebody shout. It's time to come home and never leave again. It's time to get in and never walk out again. It's time to get in this to stay. Clap your hands and give him praise. One of the things that has shocked me about this pandemic is that we are definitely seeing biblical events play out right before our eyes. And it's a reaffirmation to the church that we are right on course. And things are right on time. Well, I, don't ask me where we are on the timeline because I do not know. I'm just here to tell you it's time to batten down the hatches and have revival. Like we're going to go out of here in a blaze of glory. It's time to get this building and fill it to capacity in the face of every lying devil. But why? Why? Where are the backsliders? It's in their Bibles. They've heard it preached. They've, they've heard this pastor preach on it. They've heard other men of God preach on it. They, they can quote Matthew chapter 24. They can quote parts of the book of Revelation. Why are they? It's because for a space and time, 
It didn't happen overnight. But in degrees, that receptor, that point of contact between the incommunicable and the communicable, the invisible and the visible, the intangible with the tangible, the human heart already began to be distanced. And the human heart, under the, under the sound and the auspices of, of an anointed pulpit, and under the auspices and other, under the shadow of a pastor that loves them, uh, they, they began to get other things in their heart. They began to look at things. They began to feel things. And that distancing already began to take place. Till Brother Robert, they were sitting here, but they were so far. From God. So close. It's time for everybody to get their heart right. And say if hell freezes over. I ain't changing. I ain't going to turn on television. I've lived without it all these years. I ain't going back now. I am not going to Hollywood. I don't care what Hollywood star foments their garbage and their nonsense. DVDs are out. VHS. If you're still watching VHS, you need to hit this altar anyhow. But you need, <laughs> there ain't going to be no Hollywood. There ain't going to be no nonsense. There ain't going to be no garbage in my house. I've lived this long. Somebody shout with a voice of triumph. I've made up my mind. I've put down my roots. I'm going to hear the trumpet. I'm going to go in the rapture. I was talking to our real estate. We had a showing in this building yesterday. That was great. It was great. They're only 2.2 million off. Not a big deal. Now we're going to sell this building. And we are going to start a church school. We just got our, our certificate from the state of Washington said Cornerstone Academy is a valid entity with the state of Washington. Go ahead and start your school. We're going to do it. I'm not, wait I'm not waiting on Olympia. I'm not waiting on the election. I'm not waiting on Washington. I'm not waiting on a politician. I'm not waiting on Hollywood. I'm not waiting on sports. I'm not waiting on anything. So close. This far away. The Bible says in the book of Matthew. The people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth and honoreth me with their lips. But their heart is what? Is what? How can you be far if God is everywhere? David even said, I make my bed in hell and thou art with me. He understood he couldn't outrun God. I want to tell you one aspect of Christian maturity is when the God that is everywhere becomes now the God that's in you. And you realize, I'm not going to treat my brother wrong because God's watching. Now, you got to get this. This is a revelation. When your inner man becomes regenerated, it's not just that I got the Holy Ghost. You now have the revelation that God is everywhere because now he's in you. And you're not going to mistreat your sister because God's watching. When you hear a, pe a person repent, ah, what's going to happen? People are going to find out what's going to happen. That's not godly sorrow. Godly sorrow is against thee and thee only have I sinned. Because God's on the inside. When you start living your life, that God is watching you. God's going to watch how I treat my sister. God's going to watch how I treat my wife. God's going to watch and see whether I kick the dog or not. And the dog deserves it. And I know God's watching. I may kick him anyway. I'm just kidding. I bought my wife this big, humongous, fluffy dog. That, But I love her, so I love the dog. This people draw nigh unto me with their mouth. Oh, Jesus. 
And then they got stuff on their cell phone that's in violation of so many scriptures, don't even get me started. I want to be in the choir. I want to be in the choir. Okay, great. What's going on? What's going on at your house? Well, <laughs> it's duplistic. It's uneven. It's not balanced. It's not right. It's not real. It doesn't have integrity. Integrity means something is integrated, means you're the same everywhere. I remember one time I was in, we were remodeling this building. You know, we've only been in this building seven years. God's perfect number. Is that Scott Whitmire? I don't have my glasses on. Just yell out and say it is. <laughs> I'm real sneaky. Good to see you. <laughs> oh, I feel it all over me. This is why it's apostolic preaching. I've got, God just like got my rib cage right now because it feels so good to get in the Holy Ghost. I could run. If I was physically able, I'd start running. If I was physically able, I'd start whirly burning. It's too easy to start moving away from God until we're duplistic and we've allowed so much in our life that we become comfortable with the very things that God's trying to get out. He's not trying to get it out to hurt you. He's trying to get you out so he can give more of himself. It's taking up room. It's taking up place. It's, it's not just, man, those guys are really conservative. It's no, we got a revelation. I want everything from God. I want everything out of this life I can possibly get in there. God, I want more today. I want you to press it till it's running over. It's packed down, compressed, shaken together, and running over. Clap your hands and give God the praise. Every time we gather together, we are being given an invitation. My goodness. Sorry about that. Maybe I better just hold it. Every time we gather together, we are being given an invitation to seek the Lord. Because in Him, we move and live and have our being. According to Roman, or Revelation chapter 20, verses 12 through 15, every human being that's ever born is going to come before the white throne, white throne judgment and the books are going to be opened and every man will be judged out of the word of God. But I submit to you that the church's judgment, which is the judgment seat of Christ, is different from the white throne judgment. The judgment seat of Christ, every word that God ever gave to you, and you, you recognize it as being from God, you will be held accountable for that. I'm not trying to make you afraid. I'm just, you know, how can you work out your salvation with fear and trembling if you don't hear messages like this? Well, I need a message that can, that can lift me up. Sometimes you don't need to run the aisle. Sometimes you need to be in this altar. Brother Cody Marks said it so aptly. Many of you don't need deliverance. You need discipline. Every single week, we are given an, an opportunity to seek God. The Bible said, the Apostle Paul preaching, he said that happily, they should seek the Lord if happily they might feel after him. Why? He's there. He's been there every day, every minute, every second of your existence, waiting for that opportunity to wrap his arms around you, waiting for that opportunity to reveal himself to you, waiting for that opportunity. There's only one caveat. You have to seek with your whole heart. The thing that closes the gap between the God that I've lived in all week who's there in my good moments and there in my bad moments 
was we now bring it all down on a Sunday. And we need to take inventory of where our heart is. The Bible says in the book of Psalms 119 and 2, seek him with thine whole heart. Let's lift our hands and just love him. Somebody's going to get the victory today. If you're tired of a half-empty gas tank, if you're tired of a half-empty bottle of water, if you're, if you're tired of a half-empty life, it's time to just say, I need God. I'm willing to do everything I want, God, more than anything in this world. Don't talk to me about sacrifice because anything, anything, anything is worth it. Seek Him with thine whole heart. Psalm 14 and 2, the Lord looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand and seek God. It's not who's going to church, it's who's seeking God. And honey, I've heard of people, I've heard, I haven't heard of this in a long time, but I've heard of people been, being on a bar stool and all of a sudden something hit them. Maybe it was a song on on a jukebox, maybe it was something they saw, maybe there was something they heard, and it brought their mind back to the house, and back to that place, and back to Bethel, and back to that cleft in a rock, and back to that altar, and tears streamed down. Psalm 27 and 8, when thou Said us, seek my face, my heart said unto thee, thy face, Lord, will I seek. The word seek means to desire, to inquire, to search for, to be in a search for. Psalm 105 and 4 says, seek the Lord and his strength, seek his face forevermore. Proverbs 8, 17, I love them that love me, and those that seek me early shall find me. You have a problem at home? You have any kind of a situation? Here's the key. Seek him with thine whole heart. Let's lift our hands and give God the praise. It's time to close the gap. God is allowing all these pressures to take place in this world so, because it's time to close the gap. The God that saw you, the God that watched you, the God that's observed you, he's seen your mistreatment, he's seen things done to you, he's seen all that, but he says, you know what, against that backdrop, I'm going to come in and be the wonderful counselor, against that backdrop, I'm going to be the great physician, against that backdrop, I'm going to be, I'm going to be the almighty God. So close, and yet so far, so close. And yet so far. Matthew chapter 6, verse number 33 says, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. One of the reasons why this church continues to grow and be blessed. has very little to do with me. It does take leadership. It takes vision. It takes a leader. But a lot of that has to do with the environment that's been created in these pews by people that said we are hooking up and we are seeking after this thing together. And I'm telling you, I'm telling you in the Holy Ghost, if Jesus tarries, this church will be running a thousand people. I may not even be the pastor, maybe somebody else. But I'll just be delighted that I got to play the part to take it out of Cape Canaveral and get this thing into Alpha Centauri and let the next apostolic leader take it. Because we're here to bring about and do away with the gap. The gap that exists sitting, just sitting on a pew. And, that, and now coming in contact with him and knowing every day, I'm not depressed because in him I live. I, I don't have to be angry because in him I breathe. I don't have a problem because in him I move. He's with me all the time. Even they that walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for thou art with me.
Stand to your feet and clap your hands and give God the praise. It's time to close the gap. Musicians, come and give these good people some hope. Everybody in this building together, let's lift our hands and close that gap and create an environment for our brother Richard and a sister Stacy and a sister Rihanna and a sister Bethany where somebody closed the gap and revealed the invisible and revealed the intangible made the unknowable known. Come on, let's lift our hands and lift your voice. Let's pray right now. Let this be a turning point for somebody. Somebody that's lived casually and carelessly. God was there all along, watching and waiting. Watching and waiting and watching and waiting and watching and waiting. Tell you what, let's do. As much as we can, I want you to come down and stand around this altar for just a few moments. We're going to pray. Come on. You that are busy with us, you're as welcome as you can be. We're not going to make you do one thing, but we're just inviting you to come. Some of you that are here are here by divine design. God was watching, God was waiting until there was just a little bit of hunger. A little bit of seeking, a little bit of asking, a little bit of human curiosity. Let's lift our hands and give the God of glory, the God that called you out of darkness, the God that called you out of the misery and the mess. You walk with him, you live with him, he's in you, he's with you. Every day, come on, let's lift our hands. Somebody lift your voice right now. Let's create an environment that closes the gap. Come on, go ahead and lift your hands. You're here right now. Go ahead and lift your hands and say, God, I want to know you. In you I move and breathe. I want to know you. I want to know that God. I want to know that voice. I want to know that God. That's it. That's it. That's it. That's it. Reach over and lay your hand on somebody's shoulder and let's pray for one another. Let's play something. That's it. Pray with somebody. Lay your hand over. You may never know that they're ready to close that gap and make the unknown known. Every hand should be lifted. Every voice should be raised. God is wanting to materialize. God is wanting to step out of the invisible. God is wanting to step out of the pages of your life and say, I'm here. Oh, yes, 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 yes. By the authority of the name of Jesus. He's there. He's always been there. He was there then. He's here now. Come on, let your heart be drawn to that. Let your heart move towards him. They want to know him. They want to know him. 